Hello and welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. We're delighted that you have chosen to click play on this podcast. Each Sunday, our hope and prayer is to provide practical teaching directed by God that ties into everyday life. We hope today's talk encourages you. this letter in that spot I can go for a triple word score she'll counter and go for the double letter score but if I can just get this in place she won't even notice the 10 point letter that I've got up my sleeve wait but is this even a real word what if she asked me to use it in a sentence it doesn't matter if I've made up a word it's it's just a word right but words are the foundation of all communication Words are the backbone of our very nation. Words have defined entire generations. Words have started wars and sealed everlasting peace. It is our words on which kingdoms rise and fall. Words hold authority, each letter a powerful role. Every word crucial, every word influential, every word significant. Every word counts. Great. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you here. Thank you for watching online, too. Um, uh, just to do a little bit of Becky's job, um, the offering is going to be taken at this point. And uh, it's all right. We, you know, it's okay. It's all right. Uh, but yeah, our meet and greet team will be doing, um, uh, just be passing baskets along. If uh, you're a regular and want to give in this way, please do. If you're a visitor, just pass it on to uh, the person next to you. Please don't feel obliged to give. We've just now watched that um, kind of opening video. Does anyone here like Scrabble? Okay, well, there's, there's quite a few. Well, I, I mean, I've always thought it's a bit of a dull game, really. Um, but I've discovered that actually uh, there are some really kind of key people who love Scrabble. So I just went onto uh, the internet and discovered that Barack Obama, it's his favourite game of all time. Can you believe it? Did you know that Mel Gibson, when he's on a film set and he's a little bit bored and he's waiting for the next acting part for him to be uh, filmed, he sits down and he plays Scrabble. I've even even discovered that the Queen likes to play Scrabble. So what I thought was going to be a dull game, obviously there are some key people here who think very differently to me. Uh, in fact, Scrabble was first invented in 1931. A man called Alfred, I've got to get his name right here, Musha. Musha, I just love that. Alfred Musha Butts, that's his name. No wonder he got distracted with getting other spellings going, I'll tell you. Uh, but there he is, and he's holding up the board. Uh, and really, he kind of tweaked around with the rules of it until 1951, it, or 1952. It just kind of exploded. It became one of the most popular games um, uh, around. And the point of Scrabble, uh, for those of you who um, have never lived, um, uh, basically uh, you get dealt seven uh, letters uh, and you are to try and create words from those letters. And each letter has a different value. So as you can see here, um, the I and the N has the value of one because they're so common, they appear in so many words. Whereas K doesn't appear in as many words and so therefore the value goes higher. And the idea is to be able to create these words on a board and you've got double letter scores so there's all kinds of ways in which you can get more and more points. So that's the idea of it. But of course, sometimes you just get stuck with letters uh, that don't make up a word and what do you do? Well, you cheat, don't you? 
you make up words to be able to try and win the game. Uh, but if your opponent, opponent uh, realises that you've made up a word and it can't be proved to be a true word, you have to take those letters away and you get excluded for the next round. So it's important that you get the right words. So did you know that there are websites set up for weird words for people who play Scrabble? It's true. Some people have a life. Here we go, look, just, just um, did you know that X-I is a word, it's, uh, you say it as psi, and it's the 14th letter of the Greek alphabet. It's obviously a really good one because X is 10 points uh, for just for that one uh, letter. And so if any of you play Scrabble and you're stuck, there you go, I'm just giving you some clues coming up here. Zacks or something uh, like that is, uh, that's a single-edged sword from Scandinavia. Again, it's the highest three-letter word that you can have in Scrabble. And even that last one, the AA, the... Um, yeah, well, you know what the AA is, don't you? Well, actually, AA is a word. Did you know that? You see, you've come to church just thinking we're going to learn about... No, we are going to learn about letters. AA is a word because it's solidified lava. There we go. Thank you very much. You see, I am here to educate you as well as entertain... No, not really. Now, this series called Four Letter Words, um, the value of the words that we have, as you see here, kind, it's five, six, seven, nine letters, uh, I mean, nine points, should I say, on a Scrabble board, uh, really doesn't show the value that a word like kind can have in people's lives. If kindness, if kind being kind, is what comes out when we are under pressure. I tell you, it can transform situations, it can transform people's lives, even the way in which we see our lives. So we are thinking about this word. It sounds a little bit like Sesame Street, isn't it? So our word for the week is kind. Okay. I came across a definition of kind uh, that I really loved. It was this. I'm going to give you my strength without reminding you of your weakness. I'm going to give you my strength without reminding you of your weakness. When you've messed up or when you've been messed up by someone else, to have someone to come alongside and support without highlighting the mess that's going on in your life is quite extraordinary. Do you know what? It's actually something that every single one of us long for because at some way in our lives, we are all a bit broken. And we could all do with someone else's strength being given to us without them just taking pity and saying, oh, poor you. The difference between being kind and not kind. I'll tell you, um, it was highlighted the other day. Sarah and I um, uh, watch Netflix, and uh, there is a true uh, crime series that's recently come on. I think it was just in September, and it's called Unbelievable. Uh, and there are, there are two girls that have been raped in two different police districts. And one of the girls is interviewed by a male detective and she's taken to the station and she gets interviewed another four times by different male um, uh, police people. And she's just asked to repeat her story over and over and over again. It's so traumatic for this girl. And then she's examined uh, without any explanation 
uh, of what's happening. And she's just handed a card at the end and told to go home. Uh, and it said, if you've got any questions, just ring this number. And you have this girl who has been brought up with foster parents whose, whose life has been broken. And it's just like she's just brushed aside. And it goes on to the next district where uh, another lady or another girl has been raped. And a police detective, a woman, comes who was incredibly gentle with her. And she listens to her account and she escorts her to the station. And she stays with the girl through every interview. And everything is explained to her of what's needing to happen, including the medical examination. And what was so interesting was just the difference, the contrast in treatment between the two identical crimes. It was just so obvious. One was clinical, one was kind. One was dealing with crime, the other was dealing with a broken person. And it was as if the officer in the second situation, because it's based on a true life story, as if the officer is saying, I'm going to give you my strength without reminding you of your weakness. The word kind, when expressed in life, has such power because it's personal. It's other person focused. And therefore, it makes our world less impersonal. Being kind can be life-giving. It's love in action. Two weeks ago, we just looked at some verses that a man called Paul wrote. And he says that love has to be expressed. So love is patient, which means that I'm going to go at a pace of the other person and not push for my own pace. Love is patient, but love is kind. But I'm going to give you my strength without reminding you of your weakness. Kindness is buying a drink for a homeless person. Kindness is going out of your way to help someone who's struggling. Kindness is showing gratitude and, and appreciation for people who serve us in restaurants and in supermarkets. Kindness is preparing a meal for a young family. Kindness is visiting the sick. Kindness is providing furniture for families in need without making judgments upon them. John, where are you? John Collison, where are you? There's one kind man who just invests his time in demonstrating kindness. It's delivering Christmas hampers to families who wouldn't be able to uh, afford those goodies without it. It's giving Moses baskets full of goodies to mums who might be struggling. And it's always done with this attitude, not of pity you, but it's done with this attitude of, I'm going to give you my strength without reminding you of your weakness. It's still giving kindness and it's giving dignity to the people. And do you know what? God's desire for our lives is that this four-letter word that's behind me here spills out even when we're knocked, even when we're under pressure, even when we're frustrated. And it's a better four-letter word than will often slip out when we're under pressure or we're frustrated. Do you know what? I hate the fact that at times I haven't been as kind as I should. Do you know what? I honestly think that some of my biggest regrets in life has been when I've added to people's pain and not given them strength without reminding them of their weakness. 
And I'll tell you one of the reasons why I'm ashamed and, and, and I'm, I'm so disappointed with myself is because it's been modelled so brilliantly to me. I often talk about my mum and dad because they are kind of heroes of mine. They're just sitting over here uh, in the room. When I was um, really young, a, a six-month-old baby turned up at our house and stayed with us for six months because uh, um, a slightly distant family member uh, was very, very unwell, had some mental health issues, and, um, and the husband couldn't cope. And so they rang my mum to say, could you look after our six-month-old baby? So, without hesitation, my mum takes in a six-month-old baby for six months. Isn't that extraordinary? Isn't that kind? When I used to break things on the farm, which I did so often, my dad never got angry. He didn't. He was so patient. He was so kind with me. When, um, uh, when I was a single dad, my mum gave up work so that she could help look after the kids. My mum cleaned my oven. Now, that is ultimate kindness because no one likes doing that. My dad used to pick me up on the paper round when it was wet. He put in a new kitchen, you'd just pop round and you'd suddenly find your car had been washed. I liked that. In fact, I drive a car that mum and dad bought for me. See, that's kindness. And so why is it that, that I don't express that kind of kindness in the same way has been modelled to me? That's why I get frustrated with myself. I'll tell you, why is kind being kind, so important. Because to be honest, it sounds like a weak word. It sounds like a word you talk to kids, don't, isn't it? You know? you know, you be kind to your brother, be kind to your sister. It, it almost feels like a little bit of a patronizing word. But kindness reflects the very nature of God as demonstrated through Jesus. You see, when we think of Jesus, we often think of his great miracles, his power uh, and, uh, uh, and his passion. But for those people who were closest to Jesus, who knew Jesus, they knew his kindness. Kindness that he turned up at a wedding and when they ran out of wine, he was the one who stepped in to resolve the situation. The first miracle ought to be a healing. It ought to be something so dramatic, but it's not. It's to overcome the embarrassment of the bride and groom because they'd run out of wine, and so he turns water into wine. Isn't that ridiculous? But it's ridiculously kind that he should speak to and touch a leper. Uh, that leper would not have been touched by someone who wasn't a leper for years and years, and Jesus touches him and brings healing. Jesus walks into a situation where a woman is going to be stoned because she's been caught in adultery. Interestingly, the bloke is not around. Huh. So it's just her. And all the people are there ready, ready to throw the stones to kill her uh, because they wanted to try and obey the law. And Jesus just steps in and brings such dignity to that woman. Because why? Because Jesus, wherever he went, he just expressed this immense kindness. And he was kind enough not to give up on me when I mess up, to stay with me when I don't even acknowledge his presence with me, to surround me with people who give me life and energy and vision. God is so kind to me, kind enough to reach out to me when I became aware that life was more than just about me. Have a listen to or have a look at what Paul would write about God's kindness. 
He said this, now God has us where he wants us with all the time in this world and the next, look, to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all of his idea and all of his work. All we have to do is to trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. See, we don't have to work hard to try and get God to like us or to try and get God to save us. He's already done everything. He just says, just trust me. Trust me with your life because I've done it all. That's the kindness of God in action to you and to me. Paul writes this too. He says that God is kind, but he's not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. In other words, he gives his strength without reminding us of our weakness. Isn't that amazing? It's his kindness that woos us, that draws us to him, that inspires us to follow him. So you and I don't need to follow God because we're afraid of him. We follow God because he's, he's demonstrated so much kindness to us. And he just says, look, receive it more. Receive it. I've done everything for you. It's why kindness is so transformational. Because he treats us as we don't deserve. There's a story in the Old Testament, in the, in the part of the Bible before Jesus came. And it's about a man called David. And David has to learn something really important about kindness that maybe you and I have to learn in some way too. Because kindness, and this is what David had to learn, that kindness is not being transactional, but it's about being transformational. So let me give you the context of the story. David was having to hide from King Saul. King Saul, uh, who was the king of Israel, he was so jealous of David because people had seen David kill Goliath. He was so popular uh, and the king didn't like this. And so he thought, I'm going to need to put him to death. And so David manages to escape with a whole group of men with him. And they run down to the south of Israel near a place called Carmel. And near Carmel, there's this very rich man whose name was Nabal. And Nabal was incredibly wealthy. He owned 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And he was married to an absolute cracker whose name was Abigail. She was gorgeous. He was tight-fisted and one of those horrible characters. How on earth they got together, I have no idea. It was probably an arranged marriage. That's all I can think. So this is the story that's written out for us. When David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent 10 of his young men to Carmel with this message for Nabal. Peace and prosperity to you, your family and everything you own. I'm told that it's sheep shearing time and while your shepherds stayed amongst us near Carmel, we never harmed them and nothing was ever stolen from them. So ask your own men and they will tell you that this is true. So here it comes. So would you... Be kind to us. Since we've come at a time of celebration, please share any provision that you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. And David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name, and they awaited a reply. Who's this fellow David? Nabal sneered to the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? 
There are loads of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I make bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shearers and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? So David returned and told him what Nabal had said. Get your swords, was David's reply as he strapped on his own. And then 400 men started off with David and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. Now, so far in the story, what, what we're seeing is transactional kindness. In other words, I'll be kind to you and you be kind to me. It's that transaction, yes, that's taking place. And when, with transactional kindness, when that is not met, what it does is that it leads to conflict. It leads to, well, that's the last time I'm going to help them. It leads to, well, next time they can do it themselves, thank you. It means, for all that I've given up for them. And who ends up getting hurt with transactional, transactional kindness? Well, they do, and we do, and sometimes others do. So what happens in this story is really amazing. It is a brilliant story. So Nabal's servant, tell Abigail. Remember, gorgeous Abigail? Yes, mustn't forget her. And they tell her what's happened of how cruel Nabal had been and how David had protected them in the past and how Nabal had been so rude. So the story goes on. Abigail wastes no time. She quickly gathers 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins and 200 fig cakes. Sounds like Claire Mully's been cooking, doesn't it? Don't you think? It sounds amazing. Uh, she packs them on a donkey and says to her servants, go on ahead and I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband, Nabal, what she was doing. And as she was riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, she saw David and his men coming towards her. So she is risking her life at this point. David had just been saying, a lot of good that did to help this fellow. He protected his, we protected his flocks in the wilderness and nothing he owned was stolen or lost but he's repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. And when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. Now, what Abigail does next is brilliant because instead of reminding David of his weakness, instead of referring to any previous behavior, she addresses him as he might one day become and learn about kindness. This is what she says. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be cursed as Nabal is. And here is a present that I, your servant, have bought you and your young men. She's bringing this peace offering. Please forgive me if I've offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battle, and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. And even when you're chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasured pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. And this is, I love what she says here. When the Lord has done all he promised and has made you leader of Israel, 
Don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and revenge. And when the Lord has done these things, these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. In other words, what Abigail does is fantastic. Because she introduces to David a new kind of kindness. What she's saying is this, is that kindness doesn't have to be transactional, that I'm kind to you so that you can be kind to me. Because that only leads to revenge and pain when we're not paid back in kindness. What she's saying is this, allow kindness to be transformational. Why? Because everyone wins. Then David accepted her presence and told her, return home in peace. I have heard what you've said and we will not kill your husband. Now, with all of this weird cultural stuff happening in this story, consider for a moment where transactional kindness would have got David. He would have got his own back on Nabal. He would have wiped out an entire family and servants. And would he have felt any better? Not at all. Not at all. Because when we do transactional kindness, I'll be kind to you if you're kind to me, that will always lead to a sense of disappointment or revenge. And that's not the kind, the kind of kindness that God ever has demonstrated to us or wants us to demonstrate to others. And David clocks this and he learns this. And one day, David becomes king because Saul is killed. And his best friend, Jonathan, who is Saul's son, is killed too. And there is a moment where David is thinking about his best friend, Jonathan. And he suddenly thinks, I, I need to express kindness. Not a kindness to get something back, a transformational kindness. And so he asks around and he says, is there anyone who's still alive who's part of Jonathan's family? And the report comes back that Jonathan's son, he's got a really strange name, Mephibosheth. Okay, Mephibosheth. He's still alive. And they report Mephibosheth in this way. It says that he is crippled in both feet. In other words, it's code for he has no value, he has no use, he can't do anything. And he was living out at the back of beyond because normally when a new king came to the throne, the old dynasty is completely wiped out to stop any revolt. But David hadn't allowed that to happen. And so there's this guy, Mephibosheth, who can't walk. He's a cripple. He's just got crutches. He's living in a desolate place. And then suddenly David's soldiers come and ask him to go to Jerusalem. And so this guy must have been panicking for his life at this point. And so David checks and says, what's your name? And he says, my name is Mephibosheth. And he says, are you, um, are you Jonathan's son? And he says, yeah, I'm Jonathan's son. And David does something remarkable because he's learned from Abigail. And he says, I want to show you kindness. So I want you to move from your desolate place and I want you to come and live here with me. And every time we sit down for a meal, for a banquet, you're going to be sitting at the table. So you've got all of these incredibly impressive people and Mephibosheth who struggles in on his crutches. 
And I'm going to give you the land that your granddad used to own, and I'm going to give you people to work it, and so your life is going to be transformed. And from that day on, a cripple called Mephibosheth, who couldn't give anything or do anything, received this overwhelming kindness of David. And David gave Mephibosheth his strength without reminding Mephibosheth of his weakness. Now, I've told you those two stories because I think God has something to say to us this morning. At the very heart of what it means to follow Jesus, if we have chosen to become a follower of Jesus, to live out our faith, we have to demonstrate kindness to those around us in order to see transformation. Because that's what Jesus has done for us. Have you heard of that phrase, the um, acts of random kindness? Yeah, we used to have arc days uh, here at the Forge. Acts of random kindness when we would try and do kind things for people um, in the area. Acts of random kindness. Do you know what? They are good. They are. They're really good. But I think there's another way in which we can operate. And that is through the act of strategic kindness. In other words, ask. Many of us will be heading to work this week. We're going to have time at home. We're going to bump into our neighbours. We're going to meet people in our village and in our town where we live. And Bob Goff, who is a pastor and an author, he once said this. I think this is so, so true. People will experience Jesus in you before they experience Jesus in person. Just read through that again. People will experience Jesus in you before they experience Jesus in person. What was Jesus like? What is Jesus like? Jesus is this. Jesus is kind because he never treats us as we deserve. Although we've got nothing really that we can give to him, he is willing to give so much to us. And so Jesus shines out of us when we live out transformational, not transactional, I'll be nice to you, I'll invite you around for a meal as long as you invite me back. Yeah? That's not what he's saying. He's, he's talking about transformational kindness. So as we finish, go on to the next slide. This is what I want us to be thinking about. Acts of strategic kindness. Ask yourself at the beginning of this week, ask yourself today, who can I show hospitality to? Do you know what? We have got people in this um, church who are incredible at hospitality. I learned so much from Sue Johnson. I've mentioned this several times. When she first started inviting uh, a neighbor just to come around for a meal every week so that she could demonstrate kindness to him. She'd, he'd lost um, his wife uh, and uh, life was, was pretty isolating for him. So she invited him around every week for a meal. Liz Legg, who's part of this congregation, every month invites people from Mendelssohn, the village where we live, around uh, to her house and to another couple's house, and they put on a meal for the elderly who are living by themselves. Why? Because it's an extravagant act of kindness. Claire Mully, never say no if she ever offers to cook you a meal. Honestly, she shows such hospitality 
guy called Jake Moore. Again, he just cooks and cooks because he wants to be kind to people. Who could you show hospitality to this week? Who can you help practically? Who could you go the extra mile at work for? They might not deserve it. In fact, they might not be someone that you like very much. But you chose to ex- or choose to express kindness because it's transformational. It's not transactional. It's not what I can get back. It's about what I can give to that person. Who can I invest time with? I tell you, investing time is one of the greatest ways that we can show kindness. Uh, we're doing Alpha at the moment, the Alpha course, and we're meeting in the porch's house. Not meeting in a porch, we're meeting in the porch's house. Uh, they have kindly opened up uh, their farmhouse to us. And um, Rob, who's just sitting over here in the room, Rob demonstrates this because his dad is suffering from dementia. And first thing in the morning, he'll get up and he'll go across to see his mum and his dad just to see how things are. Last thing at night, so once we've finished Alpha, at about 10 o'clock, half past 10, he jumps in the car and he nips around to go and see dad again, just to invest time with his parents. That's kindness. He doesn't need to do it. He doesn't need to do it every day, but he does it every day because it's a way of expressing kindness. So ask yourself at the beginning of this week, who can I show hospitality to? Who can I help practically? Who can I invest time with? Can I ask that we stand together? And just once you've stood, what I'd like you to do is just to close your eyes. Because just think right now, who in your life do you know needs your strength without you having to remind them of their weakness? Who could be that person? Because honestly, it can result in transformed lives and transformed relationships. And it is the expression of who Jesus is. Father, you have been so kind to us. When we haven't deserved anything, you have reached out and demonstrated your kindness to us. Jesus, ultimately, you gave your life for us that we might receive life. It's your kindness that leads us, that woos us, that draws us to have our lives changed by you. It's your kindness that leads to repentance. Lord, I pray for anyone here who as yet doesn't know you, but they're searching. Lord, through your kindness, would you woo them? Would you draw them to yourself that they might come to understand what a loving and a generous and a patient and a kind God you are? And would you give them the courage to be wooed by you so that they come into a living relationship with you? And Lord, for those of us who have received your kindness, who have recognized it, who have already been wooed by you, Lord, would you help us to to model your kind of kindness to those around us. Lord, who can we show hospitality to? Who can we invest time with? Who can we go the extra mile for? Who can we help? Lord, help people discover Jesus in us before even they discover Jesus in person. Help us, Lord, to live out who you are through acts of strategic kindness.
Jesus' name. Amen. That's all for this week. Thanks once again for joining us. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so please check us out on social media at Forge Church and check out our website, forgechurch.com, where you can give financially, watch new content and see any details of events we have going on here at The Forge. See you next week.